Guys, would you grab a Bible? Join us this morning in 1 John chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing a verse-by-verse study that we have been working through on Sunday mornings, and so we're picking up where we left off last week, and we want you to be there with us. Hopefully you got a Bible and uh, are, are going to be following along with us. If you don't, there's Bibles in front of you and the chairs nearby, or you can use an electronic device. One way or another, have the Scriptures before you. That true for you here. If you're in the overflow or online, same invitation. Have the Bible with you before you so that God would speak to you today through His Word. Well, we really need that. We long for that. And so let's just ask him to do that. I'm going to lead in prayer, but I hope you would pray as well. Let's ask God to speak to us this morning by his word. Father, thank you now for your good faithfulness. Thank you for this space. Now, Lord, help it to just fully meet us. Give us help. Open up our hearts to hear what you say to us. Give us help to hear what your spirit would speak to us. Would you make it real? So that following along, but also hearing your voice, your truth would transform each of us now, right where we need it to be. God, you can do that, and you alone do that now. I'm asking for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, there are days that literally can define your life. Sometimes a single day, something that happens in that day so can resonate with you that it seems to just last, you know, for a very long time, if not the rest of your life. Now, not everybody goes through that, but I want to tell you, I think that happened to John. Yet John, who wrote the book of 1 John that we're studying this morning, I would put to you that there was a day that captured him like no other day. And and my just proposition to you is that that day would have been the day before Jesus died the day that led up to the cross. Now, why would I say that? Well, in part, because of the amount of time that John devotes to it. So we have four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about that final day, but just in small ways. When John writes the Gospel of John, he alone gives us the greatest picture of what took place that night. He records John 13, to John 17. And that whole section is just that single night, that night before Jesus dies that he spends with the disciples. And John captures that so much so that it literally takes up about a fourth of his gospel. About a fourth of the gospel of John is just that one day. Now, honestly, obviously the Holy Spirit was working. The scriptures are given to us by the Spirit, so the Spirit inspired that but I still think there's a naturalness to it as well. I like to imagine that night that when Jesus was there with the disciples, unpacking for them the things that they needed to know, I just picture John mesmerized. I mean, hanging on every word that Jesus was speaking, captured by what Jesus said so that when he wrote his gospel, he would write it down. But it didn't just end there. Though he writes the Gospel of John and, again, gives us that huge kind of window of that, when he gets to writing 1 John decades later, quite honestly, everything in 1 John can really be traced back to that account. Like, everything that John's going to unpack for us comes out of that moment that Jesus sits down with the disciples, heading to the cross, and gives them, you know, the key things they needed to know, and I just think it captured him. I think it captured him and just transformed his life, and I like that. 
Well, I hold that before you because one of the things that took place that night is that Jesus explained uh, just the, the need that they would have to abide in him that he began to define for them a new relationship that was now possible in Christ that was meant to define their lives. And for John, I would just put to you again, I think it captured him. Because not only is he going to talk about it in the section we cover this morning, honestly, he uses the word abide about 24 times in the book of 1 John. I mean, this this idea of abiding captures his life, and I like it. But again, it didn't originate with him. It originated with Jesus. That night when Jesus was heading to the cross, he sits down with the disciples, and in John 15, he says, abide in me and I in you. I am the vine, and you are the branches. This incredible illustration of the relationship that he has for us that is just so good that Jesus shares much of it there in John 15, and we'll pull some of it this morning and weeks to come, but there is just this reality that Jesus says, here's who we are. I mean, we're in this relation, I'm the vine. That is, he's the source He's the life-giving source, and we are just connected to him. We're the branches that connect to him. And he says, here's what you need to do. You need to live like that. You need to live in this relationship of dependence upon me. You need to abide. You need to walk in that. And John is going to unpack that for us. For in this section, he uses this word abide seven times. Seven times he's going to talk about it and help us get a glimpse into what this abiding relationship with Jesus looks like, how we have it, and what, what, it, what it will do in our life. Now, quick FYI and just honest um, statement. When I was just looking at this, I was so excited with the idea of abide and wanting to do it. Part of me wanted you to see it in one just swath. And so originally, we were going to cover the rest of the chapter this morning. We were going to cover you know, all the verses, and we were going to cover the seven times uh, that he says abide because I really wanted you to see the whole thing, but there's just no way. I was like, the more I got into it, it's like, there's no way to do this in one week. So we're going to do it in three. We're going we're to cover this in three weeks. And so this week and for the next two weeks, we're going to specifically focus on this abiding relationship with Christ and what John is going to tell us about that abiding relationship with Christ and, and what that's going to look like in our lives. So I'm inviting you both today and again, for the next few weeks, to look at this idea of how we abide and what that is. You know, as we begin there, maybe we just ought to start with a simple definition. It's more than a definition, but a simple definition might help. What is abide? Well, if you were to look that word up in a dictionary or even a Greek dictionary from what this would look like, the word abide means to remain, to dwell, to live, to be present. It is this idea that when we think about something, it's staying, not leaving. It's remaining. It's this idea of staying with and living. In fact, again, the idea is to be fully present in that space, being fully present in that moment. It is an abiding relationship. Maybe we would use kind of the the modern way of saying that where someone will say, hey, we just need to do life together. And so in sense, it's this idea of doing life with Jesus but it's more than a with. It's in Jesus and you and him and he and you, but it is this idea of doing it together, this place of clinging to him, depending upon him, drawing life from him as we're the branch and he's the vine, that we are invited into this union, this communion, this dwelling, this abiding, this real relationship that Jesus tells us he has established for us and we get to have in him. So we want to understand a little bit of what that looks like. 
Again, I think about definitions of what that is. I give you kind of a dictionary definition. Let me give you a quote uh, from J.I. Packer. He does a really good job unpacking that for us. J.I. Packer unpacking. I don't know why I did that, but um, (laughs) here it is. J.I. Packer, he says, you know, what it means to abide in Christ is always to be resting on him, anchored to him, fixed in him, drawing from him, continually connected and in touch with him. That's a good definition. He says, here's what it means to abide. It's you're anchored, drawing your life from him. You're rested, you're fixing, you're, you're continually walking in that. He says, there is no more precious lesson to learn, no more enriching link and bond to cherish, no more vital connection than this. And I just want to tell you, he's speaking truth there. It's like, there's not, I mean, this is the best there's nothing, I mean, this, this connection to Christ, this living with Christ, there's not like something that you could get past that. It is the best lesson for us to learn and work in that. It would do amazing things. Abiding in Christ brings peace, joy, and love, answers to prayer, and fruitfulness in service. And yet it is the abiding life is the abundant life. The abundant Christian life is this picture of abiding in Christ. And, and that's where we we're going to go this morning. In many ways, is we're going to look at some of the benefits and what def- abiding is. We'll talk about it over the next few weeks. But that last part of it, this abundant life becomes in many ways what this section begins to unpack for us. Well, before we get to the section where we are picking up where we left off, I do need to quickly tie it back to what we saw last week. Again, if you missed the study last week, you might want to catch it online because this is just going to be a quick touch on it. But it is the first place he uses in this section the word abide. Go back to verse 19 just for a moment, what we covered from last week. He speaks here of those who are what he says are antichrist. In fact, back up one more bit, go to verse 18. It says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have come by which we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So we have the first use of the word abide in the section, but some of you are reading it, you're like, I was looking for it, Jim, I didn't see it. Well, the word abide can be translated differently into the English. It's the same Greek word, but here it is the word continue. So go back and notice it again, just verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have abided, or they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So Antichrist, in that sense, by their nature, are those that don't abide, don't stay in Christ. Sometimes they begin in church and then break away. Sometimes there are followers that do that. And we defined Antichrist last week as not just kind of, you know, the opposite of Jesus, but something that takes the place of Christ. Something that a person or a thing that occupies that space. And again, something he's warning us away from. But here for us in a very fundamental way, he just lets us know that when someone or something is in that space, it doesn't abide. They don't abide. Uh, that it doesn't walk in that. And maybe it's one of the most simple things we need to quickly say, but it's a huge biblical truth. And hopefully it's one that you can grasp and and just understand very quickly. If someone, you know, comes to church and hangs out in church and they look like a Christian and they sound like a Christian for a little while, but then they quit. Then they quit. And 
they, they break away and, and they want nothing more to do with church and nothing more to do with Jesus, John tells us they were never of us. It's not like they were saved and then they got unsaved. It's not like they were really his and then they're not his. He says they went out from us because they weren't of us. You know, if they'd been with us, if they'd really been of Christ, if they'd really been a part of what we were, they would have stayed. But when they go out, it shows that they were never really there in the first place. Here's what we know. Here's what the Bible would begin to unpack for us is that real Christians abide. Real Christians stay or real Christians bounce back. That's a really big biblical principle. I hope it's one that you can understand. We've talked about it before, but I just quickly tell it to you again. If you're really a follower of Jesus, you'll abide. It's by nature who we are. Doesn't mean that Christians don't have bad days. Doesn't mean that Christians can't enter into a season of, uh, of doubt. But in that space, we don't have confidence of our salvation. You don't lose your salvation. If you die in that space and you're really saved, you're his. God knows those who are his, Paul would tell us in Timothy. Only way we know is, is abiding, and real Christians always bounce. They just always do. I mean, some way we always come back, and if somebody doesn't come back, then we have to assume they're not. Now, I say that gently and kindly because some of you need to believe that, uh, because some of you have it. You have a parent, a child, a brother, a sister, a friend, and they used to. I mean, you were there. They, they went to church. They prayed the prayer. They walked the aisle. They sang the songs, and you thought they were a Christian, but now, today, they have nothing to do with Jesus. They don't want anything to do with Jesus or church or anything. They deny any of that. And here's where you're supposed to be able to come into that. As far as you're concerned, you need to believe, hey, that, 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 all of that must have just been pretend. It must have all just been outside because if they'd really been of Jesus, they'd come back. Now, if they come back and then we'll go, okay, yeah, you were saved. But the, in the midst of it, I have to treat them that way. Does that mean I'm mean to them or cruel to them? No. Are you mean and cruel to the world, to, to unbelievers? I hope not. The idea is you begin to just say, hey, I'm going to preach the gospel to them. I'm going to treat them like you need Jesus. Like, I mean, you need to get saved. I mean, I can't, I'm looking at your life and you're rejecting Jesus. And I can't say just because you were in high school and you prayed a prayer that you're saved. I don't know that. The only way I know is abiding. The only way I can recognize someone as a Christian is if they abide in Jesus. And if you're not abiding, I'm preaching the gospel to you. And so again, powerful realities. It's, it's a reality that he lays out for us. But once more, it's not that which John came up with. Jesus was sharing it that night before he went to the cross. He said it this way. If anyone does not abide, like just, they, they don't have an abiding relationship or stay with me, he's cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. No abiding, no life. Burning, which has to be almost a picture of hell and all of its destructions and just saying that's not what we want because abiding becomes necessary. It becomes a, a part of our lives and certainly something that we're needed to see. Now, that's helpful for us. And again, I give this to you, not because it's our major theme this morning, but it kind of pulls us into this section because we've just spent time looking at those that would seek to pull us away from Jesus. And you're saying, okay, that's not of him. In fact, nobody that falls away is. We don't want that. Instead, we want an abiding relationship with Jesus. So now fast forward to where we are. We covered all of that last week, and we ended there in verse 23, and, and now we find it in verse 24. Pick it up there with me. It says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father, 
And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. So he's calling us to this abiding relationship. He's telling us, hey, yeah, others fall away, but you're a follower of Jesus. You don't want to fall away. You want to abide. How do you do that? He says, well, here's what you need to do. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, that there is a sense that we walk in that which we've heard. Can I give it to you in a very quick nutshell? Every Bible student that I researched understood this, and so there's just no doubt about it. This idea of what you've heard from the beginning is a a way of stating that the gospel that was given to us, the hope that was given to us in Christ, that which was invested to us, that we would know as the truth that's found in the Scriptures. It is that which we've heard. It is that which we've been able to look at, and that truth, the, the, the Bible, and what's given to us in the Word of God becomes that which we need to abide in. So, track with me for a moment. So we have this little thing. I have a little image at the bottom of the screen that maybe we'll use for the next couple weeks, this idea of abiding. But for today, I want to add a second image into it, because sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. Part of the abiding is this place of the Word of God, of abiding in the Word of God, of allowing that to be there. So I'm going to add that to our screen over there and say, okay, so this picture of abiding is connected to our abiding in the truth of the Word of God, in the way that it comes, that we think about what Paul would tell us in Romans. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. To hold fast to what we've heard is to hold fast to the message that was given to us, held fast to the gospel that was given to us, the truth that was given to us. Now, what we covered last week, and we touched on this, and I just quickly touch on it again because it applies here, is a recognition that the truth that was given to us is a complete truth, that we have a solid, complete revelation, that the Bible that you have in your hands is not a work in progress. It's not something that needs addition to. In fact, it is fully complete, that the message of the gospel has been communicated, that the message we need to have is given to us in the Word of God. I think about how Peter would say it in 2 Peter 3, chapter 1, verse 3, as His divine power has given to us, notice, all things that pertain to life and godliness. He goes on to say, through a relationship with Jesus, in the promises that are given to us through His Word, but the key for you right now is all things. Not some things, not many things, not the beginning of things. Everything we need. Everything that we need for the Christian life, that we could be complete, thoroughly equipped, it tells us in Timothy, that is given to us here so that nothing needs to be added to the Scriptures and the truth that God would give us. We talked about it last week, but the Bible ends in the book of Revelation, and really one of the final things it says in the last chapter in Revelation 22 is that if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life. Hey, those are terrifying warnings, but just as take it simply, don't add, don't take it away. The Bible's the Bible. Don't, don't, you don't need more than it. Don't subtract from it. The, what God gave us is that it's complete. When Jude would speak about it, he would write this way. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent, or I really wanted to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. He says, he's got to, you know, as he talks about deceivers and, and those that would come, he says, you just need to know, we have it. 
It's been given to us. The truth has been given to us. Don't add to it. Paul would say the same thing in Galatians. Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we've been, which have been preached to you, let him be accursed. That there is a sense that we need to make sure we get it, that we just don't want to go there. That the idea of antichrist or things that would seek to move us away from Jesus would bring in, quote-unquote, new things, lives that aren't there. So we talked about it last week, so I just want to own it again and just say, please hear me clearly and yet carefully. Don't let anybody do it to you. Don't let anybody come and tell you that what you have in the scriptures is not enough for you. Don't let anybody knock on your door and say, hey, we have another book. (laughs) You need to read this one with them. Don't let anybody tell you, hey, you need to read our magazine. Don't let anybody tell you, hey, well, you know, that's a good start, but now you need the revelations that I got. You know, I have things that are extra outside of Scripture. Don't let anybody tell you that. Don't let anybody come and, and, and move you away from that. That can happen with cults. That can happen with things. But let's even go further. We live in a culture right now that has just lost its moral compass. I mean, it's just moving like crazy, and that's a scary thing. But what's even more scary is the number of Christians that are carried along with this who now are trying to reinterpret the truths of the Scripture and say, well, you know, I know that, you know, people used to believe that the Bible was about morality, but we don't actually believe that any longer. It's like, I'm just telling you, you have some that are trying hard to take away the Scriptures from you, and I'm pleading with you, don't do it. Don't let anybody, because you've got to hold fast to the Scriptures that are given to us so that this becomes your guide, so that this would be what it would look like. Practically, I like uh, the, the concept of letting the Bible be everything in that. John Newton said it well. Many of you guys know John Newton. He's the author of the most famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Uh, he had been a, a slave trader and walked into all of those things, got saved, radically saved, eventually became a pastor of a church. And, and as he was pastoring that church, he would speak to them. And it was, he was doing so in one particular sermon. He simply said, I count it my honor and happiness that I'm preaching to a free people, that you are not under bondage, that you're not, you know, locked into this, you know, in some kind of, you know, really in that sense, kind of moving out of the Catholic church and some of the things where it was really a bondage thing in his mind. And so he says, you have the Bibles. You yourself have a Bible and you have it in your hands. He says, and that's what I'm going to appeal to. To your Bibles, I appeal. I charge you, he said, to receive nothing upon my word any farther than I can prove it from the word of God. And bring every preacher and every sermon that you hear to the same standard. Amen. Guys, I should tell you it's true. If this is what God says it is, if everything necessary for life and godliness is here, then you could listen to people, but you should say, I need to see it here. I need to make sure it's in the Bible. Like, I'm not going to believe it just because you said it, you know, and that's nice, but I'm going to believe it because it's in the Bible. Now, I like the way John Newton put it, but honestly, it's found in Scripture. In Acts 17, it gives it to us this way. The church there in Berea, it says they received the word with all readiness, and they searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. That example should be yours. It says they were open. They weren't closed. They weren't, in that sense, locked down in a place of not listening. They listened to, the, to Paul speak, and then they said, we're going to check that out with the Scriptures. Like, you know, just because you said it, it's, you know, if it's actually in this book, we'll believe it. You know, if it's here, that's great. And you should value everything through that, that you shouldn't just believe it because I said it or somebody on the radio said it or on TV said it or a book. Re- you should be like, if it's in the scriptures, <laughs> great. If it's not in the scriptures. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in that which would feed my soul because I need this. 
Think about how powerful it would be if that became true in your life. I like the way it's described in Ephesians. It speaks of pastors and leaders and their calling in life, mine. It says that we're given for the equipping of the saints and the, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It says, I want you to build people up. I want you to make them stronger in Christ. I want you to help them figure out who they are. He says, if that would happen, then they would come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, there's a bunch of stuff there, but in one sense, you're going to become more like Jesus. You're going to become more Christ-like. You're going to come to know Jesus and find him to be your everything. And if that happens, he says that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Wow. Be a good thing. He says, if you grow up in this and you're growing up in the truth, you're not going to be as easily deceived. You're not going to be like, well, I'm over here. No, I'm over here. <laughs> like, now I believe this. And now, you know, it's like, no, I don't believe this. And just because some weird thing happens, I don't, I'm not moved from the solid place that the scriptures have because I have found it to be that which I need. I am, if we can say it this way, and it is how he's saying it, I'm abiding. I am abiding in the scriptures. I am sticking to the Bible. I am a Bible person, and, and I will hold fast to this, he's calling. That he's telling you and I that we should be that, that we should abide in the Bible, that we should cling to it, that he says it in verse 24, therefore let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. Like, hold on to God's truth. Charles Spurgeon said this really great in one of my favorite quotes about it, where he simply said, it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your spirit, he says, is flavored with the words of the Lord so that your blood is bibline and the very essence of the Bible flows from you. And that's just great. I mean, it's just, I mean if you can kind of track with his, his illustration, but he's like, I want you to come to know the Bible so that it just changes. I mean, it just now becomes your normal language. Like the way you talk and the way you see the world is through the words of the scripture. So that the idea is it's so flowing in your life that if I poked you, you bleed the Bible. It's like, you know, it's like no matter where you are, it's like the Bible just came out. Because that's, I mean, I'm just so, I mean, the Bible is so much a part of me and, and so much a part of my life. And, and it changes my whole life. He says, I want you to be that kind of person. I want you to be someone who's centered in and abiding in the scriptures. So, undoubtedly, that's what it's calling us to. God is calling you and I to be a people that abide in what we've heard, that we would abide in the scriptures. But not as an end in themselves. Not just that we would be Bible nerds. So why should you abide in the scriptures? Well, he just told us. Let's go back and read it. It says, therefore, verse 24, let that abide in you, which you've heard from the beginning, like hold fast to the Bible. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Oh, yeah, that changes everything. This abide, he says, if we would abide in this, it would cause us, it would help us to be those who are abiding in Christ, that we're abiding in Jesus, that we're abiding in the Father. That's what we're supposed to, right? I mean, that's what Jesus spoke of in that passage in John 15 when John heard it first, where Jesus said, hey, here's the deal. I want you to abide in me. I want you to abide in me. 
I'm the vine and you're the branches. So we are invited into this connection with Jesus, into this doing life with Jesus, into the space that we live our lives in dependence and recognition with Christ. And what John is telling us is one of the keys that helps us live in this abiding relationship with Jesus is to abide in the scriptures. That knowing the scriptures, having the scriptures be a part of our lives, is that which compels us and helps us to walk in Christ. That's the aim. That's why we should want it. That's, that's the purpose of their existence, that, that the Bible itself would be that, that isn't just an end that we'd know it, but it's part of what helps us abide. Now, again, this didn't originate with John. It's what Jesus said that night. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. It's like, that's it. so I'm wanting you to abide in me, Jesus said, but not just in me, but in what I'm saying to you in my words. If you keep them, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He says, here's this deal. I mean, you're going to live in this relationship with me. You're going to live in this place of knowing that I love you and, and walking in my love. But part of what unpacks that, part of what unlocks that in our lives is the scriptures. Of knowing the Bible and living in the scriptures and allowing those to be there, it's what draws us into this relationship and helps us have an abiding relationship with Jesus. Now, I just want to tell you it's true. I'm going to tell you it works. I'm going to tell you right now, he's inviting you into this, but I need to say it in a way that is just going to be true, but it might be hard for some of you to hear. But hear me in the most loving way I can, because I'm saying it lovingly, in a way that's trying to invite you forward. If you are not abiding in the scriptures, you are not abiding in Christ. If you are not abiding in the scriptures, if you're not a person who knows your Bible and reads your Bible and has made the Bible a part of life, there is no way you're living in the life that God has for you. You are just living short of the relationship with Christ because one of the ways that unlocks that in our lives is the power of the word of God. So if you're one of those people that you have a Bible but you don't ever read it, I mean, you pick it up on Sunday morning and you come to church and, you know, kind of blow off the dust from the week and then after church it goes back up on the shelf or it goes on the coffee table and you don't see it again until the following week, then you are missing out. You are missing out. You are not living in an abiding relationship with Jesus, even if you want to think you are. There's just no way. You can't have it without this. The scriptures are needed and necessary part of our lives that helps us have an abiding relationship with Jesus. And it's part of the invitation that we would have that. And it's part of the way of saying, okay, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to have that be a part of my life. Now, if you do that, if you would do that, if you would be in the scriptures, if you'd abide in the scriptures and that would help you abide in, in Christ and in the Father, that Jesus would say, hey, the Father's a vine dresser and I'm the vine and you would be with us and, and we would do life with you. If you do that, it does a bunch of things. Now, we're going to see over the next couple of weeks that it's going to give us security, it's going to make us fruitful, but I just want you to hear one part of that this morning, one part of what the abiding relationship with Christ does. So let's go back and read it from the beginning of our text. Verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. 
Yeah, this is what he promises to those who have that abiding, that you would enter into, that you would have this thing. He says, that is eternal life. Okay, well, let's just begin to think about what this is. Certainly, it speaks of salvation. I think about the most popular verse in Scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life or have eternal life. Jesus came. God loved the world so that if you would believe on Jesus, you could have it. If you're here this morning and you're outside of this, please understand, God loves the world. And he loves you. That's why he sent his son. He sent his son to rescue you from the brokenness. And if you would believe and become a follower of Jesus and you would place your life on him, you would be saved. And that would bring you into everlasting life. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I just want to tell you it's true. And I just want to tell you it's possible. And if you're outside of that this morning, then we just reason with you and say, please give us opportunity to talk to you more because we want you to know Jesus. But let me go further. Eternal life is more than salvation. Eternal life is more than salvation, and it's more than just living forever. See, sometimes that's the way we think about it, right? And and, and it's a misappropriation. It's a misunderstanding. Sometimes we think about eternal life, like believe in Jesus, and you you can live forever. But it's not really about duration. No, the Bible's pretty clear. forever is your destiny. Either you're going to be forever in heaven or you're going to have an everlasting death in hell. I mean, it's not about duration. If it's not about duration, if it's not about length of time, then what is it? It's about life. It's about knowing him. So Jesus was going through that night. He he did the uh, talking about abide in me and he closes that evening in prayer and John records that prayer. And in John 17, he would say it this way. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, I love that. So Jesus is praying, but he gives us the definition. You want to know what eternal life is? What is eternal life? It's knowing God. It's having a relationship with God. It's this depth and this wonder of relationship with him, that that brings us into this quality of life, that eternal life is not about just duration. It is about fullness. It is about just this vibrant, life-giving life. In fact, I like when Jesus talks about it in John 10, where he says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. In one sense, that's a great verse for us to think through, even in the stuff we talked about last week and at the beginning of this week. Antichrist come to rob you of Christ, and that's what they do. Every lie that's out there, it is there to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is always manufacturing things that would seek to rob God's people of that. Don't be robbed. (laughs) Don't be robbed. But if you're not robbed and you cling to Christ instead, he says, Jesus says, I have come that you could have life, and you may have it more abundantly. I want you to have life to the max. I want you to have a life to the full. I want you to have this life-giving, vibrant, just full life. I want you to have the measure of what that is that is found in this abiding relationship with Christ, that he's telling us that that's what this is. He's telling us that that's how we have that, that abiding in Christ, it is life. It is abundant, eternal, and real life. So a few moments ago, I took you to John 15 when Jesus was saying it, and he told us, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have my, kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
So he's telling us, like, hey, keep this. Keep what I've told you. Don't let go of it because this will be key to you having this abiding relationship with me, that you'll be able to walk in that. And then he just tells us, I've told you these things, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain or abide. It's the same word. My joy may abide in you and that your joy may be full. Like, I want you to have joy. I want you, how much joy? I want it to be full. I want you to have joy to the max. I want you to have this abundant, life-giving, just joy that resonates, not from just what's happening in your world, but from a relationship with Jesus. That Jesus would be your joy. That Jesus would be the source of life in you. That's what he's offering to you. That's what he's offering to give to us. That's what he's offering for us to have. And in that, he's giving it to us so practically. Like, do you want this? Do you want this? Then you need Jesus. And one of the keys of that that he's telling us this morning is that's the power of the Word of God in your life. George Mueller, uh, who just incredibly used by God in the 1800s just as as both a, a preacher and evangelist, but also by a man by faith who believed and saw God provide for thousands of orphans, great stories for some of you who pursued them. He would talk about it in his own personal life this way. He said, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. This is well said. It's just well said. He says, here's the thing. So your abundant life, the measure of your abundant life, the measure of your vigor, it's going to be connected to the measure of how the Bible is rated in your life. He talks about it from his own personal experience. He says, I solemnly state this from my own, the experience of 54 years. For the first three years after conversion, I neglected the Word of God. So again, quickly tracking, he's not writing this at 54 years old. He's been a believer now for 54 years. He's an elderly man now, and he says, but when I got saved, for the first three years of my salvation, I really didn't take the Bible seriously. I, I, I didn't you know, read it. I wasn't a part of that. And he says, I neglected it after I got saved. But he says, since then, since I began to search it diligently, the blessing has been wonderful. Great has been the blessing from consecutive, diligent, daily study. He says, I figured it out. I figured out I need the Bible. Like, I need the Bible. He says, I figured out how that it needs to be a part of my life every single day. Consecutive, diligent, daily study. He says, I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. So I want you to hear it from him first. He's saying for 54 years he was saved. For three years he didn't do it. But for 51 years, at this point he writes, he says, I figured it out. I need the Bible every day. And he says, I've done that. He says, I've been in the scriptures every day. That's a pretty incredible testimony. For 50 years to be daily in the scriptures. But I want to hold it out to you as a possibility. Again, we live in a weird world where sometimes the measure of what it looks like to be a Christian can be so low that sometimes we don't even think that's possible. But I want to tell you it is. And again, I hope it doesn't come across as arrogant. I don't think it is, but there's probably pride in my heart even in saying it. But I still think it's good for me to say it as an example. I can tell you it's true for me. I read the Bible every single day. I do not ever miss I've done so for over 30 years. And I can honestly tell you in 30 years, I don't think I've ever missed. I don't think I've ever missed reading the Bible every single 
day. Now, I'll be honest with you. Not every day's been great. There have been times where it's like my heart wasn't there, and I did, but I did it anyway. It's like, okay, I read the Bible, you know, but I, I can look back and think, well, it wasn't what it could have been, but I did do it. But I'm with George Mueller. I can say the days that it wasn't just that I did it, but the days when I have a good time over the Word of God, those define my life. I have found what some of you have found, that my time with the Lord is, it determines my day. It determines my life that my time that I spend with the Lord every day in many ways becomes the, the power of my life, that it's the way that I live. If I don't have that, it, it, it just empties my soul out. It empties my life out. But if it's good, I mean, sometimes those are the best moments of my day, of, of spending time with Him and Him opening up things to me. It becomes a key of the Christian life, and I'm just telling you it's possible for you. And I'm just telling you you could do that. I mean, I think about Job, who said that he had esteemed the words of God more necessary than his daily food. He says, you know, if I have a choice, read the Bible or eat, Job said, I'll take the Bible. You know, if, if, if it's a choice, you know, and I have to, you know, if I, like, I don't have time for the Bible, it's like, well, if I, then I won't eat. You know, like, like, the Bible's more important than that because I need God's Word. I need the power of the Word of God because not just so I grow, but it, it, it is part of what can, draws me into that. So going back to what George Mueller said, he said, here's the deal. The vigor of your spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held in the Bible in our life and our thoughts. Like, Jesus is promising us eternal life, but he's telling us one of the keys— not the only, but one of the keys that unlocks that for us is the power of the Scripture in our life, so that if we neglect that, no wonder we neglect the abundant Christian life. But if you would say, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to be in your Word. Somehow it begins to open it up for us. It becomes a, a place that is meant to help us find Christ, not an end of itself. Again, let's just be honest. You can do Bible study wrong, and most of us have done that. Most of us have probably made Bible study um, a task. You know, it's like, you know, read your chapter. Okay, I did it. <laughs> like, how fast can I read it? You know, it's like, blah, 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 I'm not done. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's great. That's not really going to work. But if the goal is to say, I know what this book is about, it's about Jesus. It's about helping me get close to Jesus. If I spend time in this and say, God, help me, build my soul so that I'm growing and I know you because I want Jesus. I, I want that we would discover an abiding relationship with Christ, that one of the things that unlocks the abiding Christian life is the Word of God. And we would discover what J.I. Packer said earlier, that abiding in Christ brings peace and joy and answers to prayer and faith, fruitfulness, and service, but the abiding life is the abundant life. It is what brings that about possible in our lives. It's what would do this in an incredibly real way. And I just get to talk to you about it this morning. I just get to tell you, you can have this. So let's just, just, just let this resonate for a second. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? I don't think it's that complicated, but I'm just a little bit concerned that you won't let it land. So there are things that would call you away from this. There are false Christians and false Christian messages that would call you away from an abiding relationship with Jesus. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. Don't let anything move you away from Jesus. Don't let anything take the place of Christ in your life. But if you want Christ to be the center of your life, well, you need to abide in the Bible. And if you abide in the Bible, it will draw you into this relationship with Christ. It will be part of what empowers that in your life. And if you abide in Christ, 
then he is given a promise to that. Eternal life happens there. In the abiding relationship with Jesus, there is life. There is an abundant, full Christian life right there. What would it look like for you? See, I know this. It's in different spaces here this morning. I know I'm talking to somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And you're hearing my voice, and I just need to tell you what you need to hear out of this. You need a relationship with Jesus. One of the dangers is that you would misunderstand what I've said this morning and think, hey, if you go to church and read the Bible, that you'll go to heaven, and that's enough. There's a lot of non-Christians that read the Bible. Reading the Bible doesn't save you. Jesus saves you, and you need a relationship with him and, and, and his work in your life, and you can't have that any other way. And if that's you this morning, you need to begin there. And then in that relationship with Christ to receive the word of God and everything else that will unpack for you the Christian life that God has for you. I invite you to that. I'm talking to some others. And some of you, you have figured this out. In fact, you're kind of wishing you could get up and talk right now because you're like, Jim, that's good, but you could add to that. Like I could tell and I could just sit there and say, my life is proof of that. I have figured out the same deal. That abiding in Jesus is everything in my life and the word of God is powerful in that. And for some of you, you've figured that out. And, and here's the deal. You might be doing great with that, or maybe you're up and down. And for some of you, maybe you're just a little bit down. I just want to call you back to it and say, you know where it's found. You know how to, how, to, how to have this relationship with Jesus. You're going to find it in the Word of God. You're going to find it in, in allowing the Word of God to begin to permeate your life so that you're in it. And you're just saying, God, I want to be more, grow me. Make me more like Jesus and, and, and help me have this relationship with Christ. And, and for some of you, you figured out that daily time with Christ, that daily quiet time or whatever you want to call it, you have figured out that it is one of the great keys of the Christian life. Good. Do it better. Don't lose it. Don't let anybody steal it. But I know I'm talking to some that you might never have really figured this out. In fact, Maybe you didn't even think it was possible. I mean, you hear people talk about the abundant Christian life, and you're like, I don't even know what that is. It's probably for pastors and missionaries. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's for like, really spiritual people. It's probably not like for people like me. That's a lie. That's a satanic lie. It's for you. It's a promise that is his promise to everybody. He says, this is the promise, and it's a promise for every single Christian. You could have this. You could have the life in Christ. You could have an abundant life in Christ. Do you want it? Do you, do, you, do you want more of that? Then make this more a part of your world. Be in the scriptures. Read it. Read it. Read it. Read it daily. Read it in a place that you're asking God to draw you to Christ, to depend more upon Christ. Discover what Jesus said, that this book, some people think they find eternal life in this. Jesus says, but this book is testifying of me. It is pointing Christ it is showing you what you need. Put this as value and begin to discover that there's this incredible life that is yours to be found in Christ. Make it to be that which you would say, God, I want more of that. And I just take this moment to ask you for it. I just think about all that this is, and I'm going to tell you there's more. There's more that abiding in Christ does, but certainly this abiding in Christ and abiding in his word, it unpacks for us joy. It unpacks for us the Christian life, and we should just recognize and want more of that, that we should long for that. So you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever it is you have open, and I want to just give you a moment to pray about this. And again, let's just be clear. We're not all in the same place. We're not all in the same place. Maybe this is your moment to give your life to Jesus. That'd be great. Quietly between you and the Lord, it'd be great for you to surrender even now and recognize you can't abide in what you don't have. 
you got to have life. And so we invite you to surrender your life to Jesus. We'd love to talk to you. Again, some of you are doing all right, but you need strengthened because it is always under attack. And today, it was just hopefully as clear as it can be, like, yep, that's, that's where life is found. I need to be there. I need to stay in His Word. I need to pursue Jesus. I want, I want, I want to abide in Christ. And this way, I invite you to do that. But I know, again, I'm just pleading with somebody who's not really figured this out yet. Prove it. Try it. Why not? I mean, if it really could work for you. I mean, if God really says, hey, I want, I want you to have an abiding, abundant Christian life, why would you live less? Why would you live in some kind of way that you don't fully partake in what God would have for you? Then I just ask you, pursue it. Pursue it by the Word of God. Pursue it by reading it, holding it, making it a daily part of your life so it becomes essential to your days. And find that He is more. He is more than you've yet known. I'll tell you, He is. So, why don't you take a quiet moment, wherever it is in one of those spaces or whatever it is he's spoken to you, I'm also going to take a quiet moment. And we're just going to just, before we close in worship, we're just going to say, before we do that, we want you to talk to God about whatever he's talked to you about. That this would be personal and real and you talking to him, you do that, I'll do that, and we'll close together in worship in just a moment. Jesus, I thank you so much for even this reality, the possibility of this abiding relationship in you that is possible now because of the cross, because of your sacrifice that that brings us into this. Thank you. Thank you. I got to be honest, Lord, as I think about it, there's times I could look at what you promised us here and it sounds so good, almost like, wow, is that possible? And yet I know it is to do our life with you, all of it, to abide in Christ every day, on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays, to do all of it with you, that would be amazing. I know that's what you have for us. I know that you invite us into this space that we would do it all with you. Jesus, would you teach us to abide? Would you teach us that this is what you have for us? Would you show us how? Would you help us to understand this part of it, that one of the things that makes that possible is the power of the word of God in our lives? That if we abide in your word, then that helps us to abide in you? Would you help that to be something that we fully get and then put into practice in our lives? 
that we would value your word, that we would be people of the book and of your word and in it. And may you prove it, Lord. You said that that's the promise you would give there, that abundant life, that eternal life, that joy that you said you want us to have to the full. Lord, I want more of that. Uh, And I know where it's found. It's found in you. So I'm simply asking, Lord, teach us to abide. Teach us to have an abiding life in you. Grow us in that even at this moment. Wherever we are in that, grow us in that. Teach us how to do this. And Lord, I thank you that it is what you have for us. What an incredible thing. Your promise, eternal life, work that in us now. I'm asking for it for me and for every one of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May God just work that. May he teach you how to abide. May he teach you in your life what that looks like and grow that in you. It is certainly our great exhortation. Now, if you need prayer after this, you don't know Jesus, or even you're just struggling, we'll have several people up here at the front of the church that are here. Hey, make your way up. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray for you. We're here. But I also just want to give you a quick exhortation. You know, we're going to close in worship in a moment. And my encouragement is don't immediately leave. Part of the point of gathering together as a body of Christ is to be that to each other. And and part of that is your opportunity. I just invite you, hey, meet somebody you haven't met. Meet somebody you haven't met, say hi to them, get to know them for a second. Maybe get to even ask them. One of the key questions that you could ask, and we should be always asking is, can I pray for you in anything? Is there anything that's going on in your world that I could pray for? Hey, maybe find one person and at least try to find somebody you could pray for. And you could actually even pray for them right here. Be the body of Christ to one another. We think it's a great opportunity and we're encouraging you to that. Well, as that is an encouragement to you, why don't you stand? We're gonna close in worship and make God our focus, longing that it would be so. And in that, I just wanna bless you in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.